Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed blues pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Yes, it is. Welcome, everybody, to the Good Bottle Podcast. I'm going to fuck with the volume here a little bit. Oh, it's so nice. I am definitely drinking. I am also Chris and Claire. I wouldn't want you to think Drew is the one that's been drinking and fucking with the volume. It's me. You're welcome. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your co-host. I already said my name. It's Pat Oswald. And uh, Drew. Because you're here and you're sober and you're good, uh, dude. You're off to you're off to a fire start. I mean, just like I mean, we're going fire Ireland on this one. Yeah, you're like, you're like I just, just I need I need to introduce myself, introduce myself. But I think the I think the problem tonight is that our guest has like this charisma about him that's intoxicating, and we got caught up in conversation to the point where we're like, okay. We've been on this this call, this chat for an hour, and we haven't even pressed record yet, which means that Chris is already an hour into drinking, and we know how quickly he goes off the rails these days. All because, right, you hang know. on. First of all, <laughs> I've been drinking way before an hour ago, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well... So, uh, so yeah, we, we do have a really fun guest, uh, tonight. He is the, uh, beverage director at the incredible restaurant crew. He is a certified sushi chef. He once fucked around and became a SOM level one, much to everybody's dismay. He, our guest tonight is, uh, Nick Amano Dolan, sir. Thank you so much for for joining us tonight, dude. I'm, that was the coolest introduction I've ever had. So thank thank you, thank you for just that. Just wait, just wait, because you haven't heard mine. <laughs> well, so 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 Nick, we're we're really 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 excited to have you on this podcast. I know that both Chris and I are huge fans of of what you've done in you know, in Sacramento over the past couple of years. And I I want to share one story. And I think you think you know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to give a different story. And one of the things I love about you and one of the things that I hope, I hope comes through in this podcast and that people eventually go out to crew and they get to meet you if they haven't already is that you, you got put on like this rocket ship in Sacramento to where like you went from like, just kid on the streets to running a bar program. And it was, and and not only like just a bar program, but the the crew bar program. And you got to a point where you actually stepped down and were like, I need to go learn more. I want to have some more flexibility with my schedule, with my education and stuff like that. And then, so you took, you, you stepped, you stepped down from the job, went to snug worked with those guys and that level of professionalism, which is just, you know, Trevor's incredible, does amazing things, a really good person and a great team to, to work with, with the, with the DeVeres as well. 
Um, so I, I just want people to know, like, this was a person who could have just continued to run this great bar program at one of like, you know, Sacramento's best restaurants and was like, nope, I need to step down and I need to get better. So, um, I don't, you don't need to elaborate anymore on that. I just want people to know that about you is that you did something like that cool. And you did it at an age where, cause you're still a young buck and we're just old men just kind of being like, like, Oh, good for this kid who like gets it so much earlier than we ever did. So if you want to talk about it, you can, but first tell us what you're drinking and then you can, and then you can tell us uh, about that situation. Nice. Okay. Rad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, first off, what I'm drinking, Dish Bay, uh, the Mezcal. Uh, Drew, I honestly, I'm drinking this because, spe- like, specifically for you, because you've shown me so much about agave. I think you talking about me wanting to learn more, stepping down from the position. That's so much of why I love this industry, because there is so much to learn. Uh, I feel it's it's overwhelming and amazing at the same time. And I was able to, luck- fortunate enough to go down and see the kind of initial construction of um, their Palenque and whatnot. So Dish Bay is, as uh, I think both of you know, Dish Bay is the the new brand being um, created by the Assis Cortez and his father. And uh, it's just starting its distribution to the United States. And I'm so stoked about it. So this is their uh, Tepestate in particular, uh, which is one of my favorites of the agave. So... Yeah, super so. So you so you smuggled that into the country is what you're telling us. <clears throat> Allegedly, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just moved in this apartment. It came came with the apartment. Uh, so <laughs> I think okay. So it's really funny. I with this story. I the other story which I think is interesting is I feel like should just be mentioned is that Drew, you came in and did like one of the first interactions of working with someone uh, off premise or a representative. And uh, you came in and basically blew my mind the first day I met you and showed me all the opportunities that were available for working with brands and and, and whatnot. And so I I feel like then you you kind of blew my mind then. And that's kind of I've constantly been in this flurry of trying to understand this industry, just loving it so much, being perplexed and amazed and overwhelmed by it and putting myself in positions where I feel like I, I like crazy underprepared for, but super eager and ready to tackle. Um, and I think I've kind of constantly tried to keep myself in that state where I feel like I'm barely treading water. I feel like that's where I operate best. And so, <clears throat> yeah, it was crazy. I, the crew, the crew experience and going into there, taking that over for the first time was was wild. So funny enough, Jason Wild, who was on this podcast <clears throat> recently, my, one of my first days there, I was told to make a phone call to this rep, and there was an event going on that Chris Dooley had set up, and I'm trying to fill these big shoes of Chris Dooley, Stephen Barry, and he said, "Yeah, you know, give this call to this rep. He's going to tell you about an event. It's Greg Beerwith, and he's like, yeah, man, we got uh, world class bartenders coming through. It's." 20 of the Diageo uh, West Coast Regionals that have made it. And they're, they're coming to crew and we're doing a cocktail uh, experience for them. And that was my first experience going in. And I was absolutely terrified. So called Jason Wild, had him, Russell, uh, Fernando all come in and help taste my menu with me and, and get their stamp of approval. Of like, okay, these are solid. And I think that's the coolest thing is in this industry, I've always had, you know, people like you, people like Chris, uh, Jason, Russell, so many people in this industry that have like helped me a ton so that 
that I think they kind of, everyone could kind of sense that I was energetic and excited and passionate, but underprepared. And so, but, but willing to learn, but super willing to learn always like just ready to um, learn the next thing and admit that I don't know shit about whatever it is that I'm talking about. So I think that was always the cool thing. I got a lot of help and support. That's awesome. I think that's great. And I think it definitely does speak to your personality. And one of the, one of the reasons that, um, that people have embraced you and not just in Sacramento, but really around the world. So I just you know definitely want to convey to as many people as possible. It's like, you know, when Nick, when Nick really hits it big and becomes that celebrity status, you know, bar guy, be like, he was on this show first. He was on the good bottle podcast show first. Um, uh, Chris, what are you drinking? Are you before still awake? I, before I get to that. Yeah, I've been very quiet. I've been waiting. I've been uh, attempting to be com- uh, composed and uh, well poised. Uh, but since I want, I, mm, whew, yeah, what I really want to do is I want to break up the circle jerk uh, and talk about me. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, the very first time I met Nick, um, uh, Brad Peters of this podcast fame uh and i were uh we were in west sacramento uh because west sacramento at that point in time i know a lot of you out there may or may not know like the general geography of like sacramento west sacramento east sac what have you but west sacramento is across a river and therefore an entirely different fucking world in which nobody goes to um and there is a a very popular bar in downtown Sacramento called uh, Burgers and Brew, and they opened up a West Sacramento location. Uh, uh, I went to Burgers and Brew in West Sacramento after they had uh, opened up. I think maybe maybe a month I, it, at best, uh, and Brad and I went together, and just because we enjoy going to see new places and what what have you and in this experience uh brad was bitching at me he was like you know we can't go anywhere without anybody knowing who the fuck you are this is getting really annoying and i was telling brad that he sounds a lot like my girlfriend now wife uh and that he doesn't get to talk because his wife says the same fucking thing and that, I was gonna say, uh, that's like totally brad yeah and you know. and that like you're you're not really this isn't helping anything like where he's like, well, we can't ever just go anywhere and just like hang out without anybody. Like I was like, look, man, we're in West Sacramento. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Nobody knows who we are. We can fucking kill someone and it's fine. And literally (laughs) as soon as I say that fucking Nick, young Nick, mind you, this is like four years ago, five years. I don't fucking know. Uh, five years ago, uh, rolls up wearing like some sort of like fedora and a vest and <laughs> probably suspenders probably, and a goddamn probably clip on and a, suspenders, <laughs> clip on suspenders and some probably. sort of fucking mo- monocle and rolls up and goes, um, excuse me, sir. Uh, uh, I think, uh, I just want to introduce myself. Uh, I'm, I'm Nick and I, uh, are you Chris and Claire? It's really nice to meet you. <laughs> It was really fucking awkward because I just told Brad that I could murder someone in West Sacramento and no one would know who I was. And <laughs> fucking there we were. And now this is it's, the world we live in. It's so funny. And I mean, just a, another like anecdotal story about 
just the mindset of Sacramento, because again, we're, we're making this very regional right now is that it's to the point where I remember going into old sack, which is right next to West Sacramento, but it's just, it's just enough of off of like our main grid. And I ran into a bartender there and this was early on in my career. And I remember asking him like, what are you doing down here? And his response was, I just needed to get out of town for the day. And that was just, (laughs) that's how different, that's how different Sacramento people view Sacramento in different regions. So it's like, I just want people to really understand, like they look at this, like they've left town just hanging out on a different fucking block. Um, I mean, it's quite literally another block. I mean, this is like not separated by any substantial geographical obstacle like this is another part of town that you get to by any other means like you know streets and sidewalks and a highway uh and it's completely accessible i like i don't i don't know but because it looks a little bit different it looks old timey it looks like very gold rushy because it's designed that way for you know, good Sacramento PR. Uh, people just don't go, except in, unless you live out of town. Okay, we need to stop. What are you drinking? We need to stop talking about the geography of Sacramento. <laughs> oh, okay. I am drinking a Live Wire canned cocktail, uh, hey. the Honeydew Collins by Joey Bernardo. Wow. It's fucking delicious. It's fucking great. Those I'm are all sick. about it. We just, put, we just put those on at Kadaiko. Those are delicious. I love those. They're so good. Um, what? Apart from them being canned cocktails, which means it's a cocktail that I can have at home that I don't have to fucking make. Um, it's a, it's it's a canned cocktail that I can have at home that I don't have to fucking make. Right? Like I don't. There's so few cocktails that I can have at home that are up to my standards. And this is one of them, and it's fucking fantastic. Otherwise, I just crack open a bottle and I just pour something neat into a glass and I call it a day, as the rest of you have seen over this podcast or heard over this podcast over the last couple of years. Um, and this cocktail is fucking lovely. And I like the entire live wire line. Um, it's made by bartenders out of LA. Bartenders get paid for it. It's fucking great. It's up to bartender standards. It's a good I'm price into it. point too. Great point price point. Yeah. Yeah. We sell the shit out of it and I'm all about it. He's doing the the sip right now to really <sighs> hammer it home. There it is. There it is. Because this is not a visual podcast, I wanted to make sure I gave commentary. On That's that. right. That's right. I we're I, doing know, uh, I just hear the uh the ice pour, the like glug glug glug. Uh, we, yeah. we have, we have those sound effects set off to the side for, you know, in between. So I just, it had to be real future reference. Yeah. True. What are you drinking? Um, I, I am only, I'm only doing a little bit of sips here and there. I actually had, um, I had three and a half beers today. So that's a big deal for me cause I don't drink beer, but I found myself at the Auburn ale house and, um, met a buddy out there and we sat down and they, their Pilsner is actually really delicious and then they brought me out this stout that i was like i'll have half of that because that's a big beer for a guy who doesn't drink beer um so i have a stout i feel like is half that's how much i ever want of a stout yeah that's i think i think that's a that's a definitely an appropriate assessment is you don't need much more than that so i'm just doing some little sips but 
Um, I'm, I'm going with the Oaxaca Tobola tonight. And, and I did that because, you know, you guys know I've, I've been doing the sports card thing and that's been a lot of fun. And I was like, and I pulled a card this week that I'm very, very excited about. Um, first of all, I was able to get this it, from Target. And this sounds ridiculous, right? Because you're like, well, yeah, Drew, why wouldn't you just go to Target and buy some sports cards? And it's because this industry is blowing up right now that these aisles get ransacked like this toilet paper in March of 2020. Like, it's just ridiculous. So this is the first- Do you think it's because of the the attention that you're drawing to it? It's the good ball that's blowing up the market for all this. we're We're definitely involved in some pump and dumps right now. You're absolutely right. That's what that's what we're trying to do. And so so for the first time ever, I, I walked in this place and I and I pulled I got some packs like actually on the shelf. It, it blew my mind. And I pulled out a um, a Justin Herbert rated rookie card. So for the football fans at home, this is your this is your NFL offense MVP rookie of the year. And uh, and so it's it's nice because it's like a you know, it was like a $20 pack and that card can be sold for like one fifty right now. So I was really excited, but it was also got some really cool colors to it. And that's also, I was like, I was like what <laughs> bottle would really go with these colors? And it's the Oaxaca Tobola. And part of that second series from Oaxaca is they, they do the flip. So, you know, they have their Espadine, which is going to be like their white background. And, but on the, on their middle series, they do a back background with a really beautiful colors. And obviously we'll share this on the Instagram so you guys can see it. But I love their packaging so much and it's so good for for multiple reasons not only is it just a fun mezcal and it's really cool to you know to work with the brand that's you know majority owned by the mescalero who makes it but then also you can always do like you can go through the bottle itself and explain the mezcal process and if you have time sitting behind a bar and you're able to kind of be like this is what this is this is what this is having those visuals and explaining you know kind of what goes into you know, the process of making mezcal and of course all the details that they put on the side, I think is really good. And then, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, they do, they do a really solid job with this Tobola. I mean, I'm, I, I will say that's probably not one of my favorite agaves. I just think that I, I gravitate towards a lot of different ones. I mean, I've actually been on a really big Tepestate kick lately. Yeah. And I feel like you're responsible for that. And, um, and I think it's because of that Jitchby as well. Is yeah. that like, I had that and then it just set me on this on this Tepestate run where I haven't come off of it yet. And it's just really weird because I wasn't that wasn't one of my favorite agaves until we sat down at crew and we had a bunch of those those different offerings. Cool. And so and but and even noticing that with the Tobola is that like I'm really enjoying this when historically I it's, it's good, but it's not my favorite. So it just, that also just shows you like, you know, the maturation of your palate. It's always changing. It's always craving different things, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's really good. What were you, I'm sorry. What were you about to say? Cause I know you were about to chime in there. Well, I, I think too, who, who would know, who would know the crossover between sports cards and, and agave packaging and whatnot. I mean, the crossover is there. I, I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> that. That's awesome. But, uh, no, I think this is super lame, but I literally, I one of the craziest experiences I, I felt when I was in got was in Oaxaca was drinking tepestate. It was a similar feeling to drinking blanco tequila in an agave field. Drinking tepestate and looking at these crazy plants like off the side of the cliff, yeah. looking at these wild, just alien-looking plants hanging off the side. Like, how the hell did you get there? It was just a crazy experience and make 
every time, especially when I drink this one, and then every time I feel like I drink Tepestati now, I, I always think of that visual, thinking back to like those just like they like we we will not be stopped agaves. They really are insane, and they do have that alien like you know form to them. Those really big pancas that kind of roll out of the pina and stuff. It's just they're 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 monster monster plants. And you're right; they just they somehow those seeds can just get a hold of of any little piece of dirt, and they're like, "Oh, I'm on a cliff face right now. Here's a small crack with some dirt in it. I'm gonna grow here." And then. It's just like, and now you got this huge agave that just grows out of the side of a freaking mountain. Like that's just, it's a super, super rad agave. And then the crazy so I have this, that was like, I have I'm going to go get that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. No, totally. What are you saying, Chris? I have this uh, theory. I don't, I don't know if it's theory, but uh, the way I explain to a lot of like a uh, newbie, newbie mezcal or agave drinkers is I want you to listen to the the word, listen to the name of the of the varietal. And if you internalize that name, it's going to give you at least like some some understanding of how the flavor of that varietal will will go, right? Like so so like coyote is coyote and it tastes like fucking underbrush, right? Like it tastes like a goddamn dog ran through the underbrush fucking uh uh like through sage through whatever rocks and dust and dirt and fucking water and then like laid down next to a fire and that's what you're smelling like your your dog hanging out next to you next to a fire who just ran <laughs> wild for a day and that's what coyote tastes like uh, uh what about Madre is like Madre quiche okay here's a good one so so we'll start with quiche Right, so we'll start with quiche. Quiche is like mm, squishy, squishy, yeah, yummy. Uh, and okay. it's and it's uh, and it's like juicy and green and uh, uh, squishy. Uh, but then we talk about madre quiche, and madre quiche is like big quiche. So it's like it's bolder, it's it's juicier, it's rounder, uh, it's it's uh, it's got even larger like earthy vegetal tones to it right like that's in no way is this is this like uh uh written in stone but i feel it's not, it's not yeah whoa it's it's not it's not <laughs> written in stone but i feel like uh similar to i i learned a lesson early on when talk talking about wine as a server is is like if you look at a bottle the bottle will give you an impression of the flavor of the wine Right. So you look at like big round bottles that have like Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. You can know that those those flavors are going to be big and round. You look at the thin, tall bottles of Cabernet and you're going to know that they're going to be a little bit more laser focused. The names like Espadine is going to be a little bit more laser focused than Madre Quiche, which is going to be bigger and rounder. Um, it's it's a silly. It's a silly method, but I. I haven't really been I haven't proven myself wrong with this one yet. Well, let me ask you this, because I I I definitely think there's there's a little bit of truth to this. And if that's you know, if that's the endorsement you need to drink mezcals and it turns into you into a crazy person, start drinking mezcal. Because this is clearly what's happened to all of us. Um 
But what happens if you like, so like, let's say you have like the Madre cliche, right? But then a barrio, it, for, for a lot of like, a lot of different agave types in, in productions, like that's the same agave. It's just called something different. And then if you're talking about something like a chato, you know, a chato in Candelaria is different than a chato in Arandas, right? You're, so it's you're like, going too deep. You're going they, too deep. If you've reached, well, of course, I'm going too deep. This is what I do. This is <laughs> it's a pod. You're talking about like, it's what we do. <laughs> I do think. I do think. I will say. I I appreciate the underlying um, in, intention behind, or just recognizing the intention behind the naming process. Like even the idea of someone naming it, the intention behind what they were feeling and what they named it. And it, it does, I think that does lead to a lot of your experience. And even if it is a personal thing, I mean, I know, like I said, when I drink Tepestate, I have this personal vision of, of what I see. I think we all have these relationships with different spirits and whatnot and, and what we think of when we drink them and whatnot. But I, I do think that just the practice that you're talking about in general is crucial to really thinking to understanding flavors and, and recognizing patterns, I think, in, in tasting and whatnot. It's just seeing all those little things and really trying to find a deeper connection to what it's making you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I think it's time for our opinion on, uh, on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so in our first first story tonight, what we're going to talk about is Japanese whiskey laws. So two weeks ago, the Japanese Spirits and Liqueur Makers Association released a guideline for what they would like to see Japanese whiskey be held up to in terms of mash bill, distillation, aging, and all those things in order to protect the the image of whiskey when it comes to exporting and and things like that um over the past couple of years japanese whiskey has of course exploded in popularity and there's a lot of different factors that that play into that but with anything that becomes really popular there's always going to be um cheap knockoffs things that try to portray to be something that maybe they're not or they're maybe not as uh transparent as we would like them to be. So we thought we thought having Nick on tonight would be really great because obviously Crew being a Japanese seafood restaurant is going to have a lot of Japanese products as well, not just whiskey, but gins and other spirits is, and anything you can think of. Um, so, so Nick, when you see something like this pop up, what are some of your reactions and thoughts and what was the emotional roller coaster like for you? Well, I think in, in general – I immediately am excited for the category of Japanese whiskey to get more regulation behind it. But I think my first reaction in general is, oh no, like don't, don't fuck it up. Like don't over-regulate, don't do too much to mess with the category. I mean, like honestly, my initial reaction, the first thing I thought of was don't mess up uh, rice whiskey. Like don't push out that category, allow that to be a thing. I think like in general, um, rice as you know, as a part of the mash bill and whatnot, there's a whole thing with shochu and aged shochu, which is just a rice distillate, very popular in Japan. Um, there's a whole ca- uh, controversy with whether you could age that or not. And then rice whiskey was born, which is essentially just aged shochu. I'm, my first 
reaction is, okay, I really hope they don't overregulate or mess anything up. Um, but I, I will say like for sure of, of a lot of, of any of the categories that need a little more structure and regulation to them. And I'm honestly surprised by um, at this point that Japan hasn't done this sooner. Um, I, I do think in general, like it's definitely a better thing. We want, I, I want to be able to give people a little clearer depiction of what Japanese whiskey is when I explain it to them. And right now there's not, there's not one. So it's tough. It's tough to explain it. Yeah. And I, and I do want to point out just for, for our listeners now, this is, this is not Japanese law. This isn't enforceable. This is, uh, this is an association of producers in Japan who have put forth this, this set of regulations and guidelines with the intent of it actually becoming law eventually. And they have a timetable in place and stuff like that. So this is, this could potentially be the first step, but I, I agree with you that the, the rice whiskey is something that I feel has been left out of the conversation and it's super frustrating. So Chris, what do you have to, what do you have to say about this? Well, you know, I, I have a question, you know, we talk about overregulation, but let, let's talk about one of the most regulated spirits in the world, which would be bourbon, right? It's hyper-regulated to the point where there's not a lot of variation in flavor, right? Um, But that also being said, you can't find a Kentucky straight bourbon on the market that isn't delicious. Uh, okay, okay, okay. Choose rolling his eyes real hard. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> like, like, I can go. I can go. I will agree with you and say that in terms of like uh, relating it to Japanese production of, of alcoholic beverages, sake is very regulated, and it's very hard to find a, a poor sake in, in the market. I, like, I just had this conversation with a friend the other day that was asking about picking out different sake from the, the their Japanese market, and I said the good news is that it's hard to find bad. Um, um, sake, but I mean, man, if 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 things are regulated to the point, it, bourbon's great because it all tastes good, but it all kind of tastes the same in a, in a way too, right? So you're losing out on some. It's a give and take, right? Like you get you get structure, but then you lose out on the beautiful mysticism that can happen without with with, with chaos, a little bit of chaos sometimes. Well, you, you, yeah, you lose out on the, the creativity, the artistry of of distillation, of fermentation, of aging, and things like that. I think that's also one of the reasons that world single malts have become so popular is because a structure like Scotland has has kept things. You know, there's obviously a, a wide variety there, but there's still a structure there. And so now you're seeing all this experimentation from different parts of the world and all these different things is becoming very popular because people are liking to experiment with these different flavor profiles. And I would give you another example of, of a non-government agency who has overstepped its, its bounds multiple times is the CRM in Mexico. The things that they've done with Mezcal have been very, I mean, there's been a lot of positives, but there's also been a lot of negatives. I mean, to the point where they got fined, you know, what was it? $60,000 for, for, for basically spreading misinformation. And, and again, it, what those what sometimes these regulations do is they work to disenfranchise producers who don't do the things that they want them to do and they want them to be more streamlined or they just want them to pay their little kickback you know like where is our cut for you to be certified in order to be sold as this and i think that's one of the things that 
when I first saw this, like, you know, there was, there was some celebration, like, oh, finally, and things like that. It's like, well, first of all, again, this is not set in stone. Um, and I think the, and, and again, I've seen continued conversation where it's like, oh, congratulations to, to Nika, who has come out and been like the leader of this movement. And they had a little press release where at one very tiny part of their description, they, they admitted to using world whiskey in some of their blends. And it was like, you know, when they weren't transparent is when Nika from the barrel was named the best whiskey in the world. At no point did they come out and kind of be like, by the way, guys, this isn't necessarily all Japanese. Like, nope, they just let people, they let it ride and they jacked up the price and they rode that wave and they continue to well, ride and that, that bottle, wave. That bottle and in just, general, the whole marketing behind it. I mean, it said Nika from the barrel. It wasn't bear. It wasn't cast strength like bear. I mean, the, the, the marketing behind that was not, was not very honest, I think, as a whole. Right. Oh, yeah. And th- and that's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, you had all these companies who built themselves up through a lot of sourcing whiskey, which we've said on this podcast numerous times, there is nothing wrong with sourcing whiskey. You can get if you can get some really good stuff, blend it together. That is an art in itself. So, you know, they they built themselves up. They made it extremely hard for other distilleries to open up in Japan to the point where it's like they had to source whiskey because they had no choice. There was no way to have a legal distillery because the, some of the bigger companies were just blocking it. And then eventually when it does happen and now these other companies finally got their distillation, now these companies are coming and kind of be like, you know what? We really need to start regulating what's going into these whiskeys because yeah, we got to build up our brands that way, but, but now it matters. You know, now we need to take it serious. And, and, and I say this as someone who sells like one of the biggest offenders of kind of like the copyright infringement when it comes to, um, the Kiryoshi line. I mean, there was, there was one point where our, our mutual friend, uh, Tony, who works for Jim Beam thought the Kiryoshi was Centauri. And I was like, that is definitely my bottle, not yours, which might say more about him than, than me, but it was, but it was still like he was, it the the bottles were confusing. It was definitely trying to capitalize on on the Yamazaki thing. So, you know, I'm not I'm not completely anti you know some regulation and some more transparency. I mean, I would rather have transparency. Just tell me what you're doing. I don't need I don't need a company or an association telling people how to make whiskey or what they should use. But I'm okay with them kind of being like. But part of the caveat is you need to tell us what you're doing. That's that's what we're trying to get to, and that's what I well, want and to say. I, and that's well, what, don't you that's think what... that don't don't you think that like some don't you think that some regulation is necessary to to produce that transparency? I because I I'm yes, not someone totally, who believes totally. that that com- that companies will quote unquote self regulate in any means. Like they they're, they're going to do whatever the fuck it it takes to survive and to make as much money as possible. And that means lying to the general public. And it just means fucking lying to the general public. I, 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 I'm, I don't think by any stretch that self-regulation is a thing. Yeah, I know. I think I, so I guess I, I answered, well, I, I answered my question, but I'm curious what you think. I think Drew. that's a, Oh yeah. No, Drew, keep going. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I understand, I, I understand where you're coming from. And, and again, like I, I don't think that, just because I'm asking people to be transparent doesn't mean that there's not regulation. I mean, you can still have, you can still have this, this association going around and kind of being like, okay, so you're saying that you're doing this. Cool. Let's, let's see that you're doing that. Okay. You say that you're doing this. Cool. Let's see that you're doing that. 
I I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the association in, in terms of that kind of being like, yes, this we've observed this as a third party that these are all the things that they do and that they express either on their bottle or on their website or whatever the case may be. What I don't want to see is them coming in and being like, well, you can only use malted barley. That's the only thing that you're allowed to use to be considered Japanese whiskey. Cause that's bullshit, you know? And it's like, you have these things. And I know Nick's, Nick's aware of the, of the history because we, we actually sat in on the same, the same education together where it's like, this was dictated by Margaret Thatcher that, rice whiskey wouldn't be a thing because she saw it as a threat to single malt whiskey in Scotland. Like that's bananas. And then, you know, so you have in their, their method and Nick, you can, you can speak more intelligently to this, but it's like, you know, Sochu is regulated by the color of the liquid itself. Like, Oh, too dark. Can't call it Sochu now. Let's fucking mental. Right. Like you're just kind of like, Oh, we're just doing the old eye test. Are we? So I don't know, Nick, what, what are your thoughts? No, on I, I think in general, I, I agree there needs to be some sort of regular, like there needs to be enough regulation that makes Nika stay with exactly what they're saying now, which is like, Oh yeah. Like we, there's some products that we have. We blended, we blend in scotch. Like, yeah, that's cool. Like they, they you know, kind of like that the, the behavior, like, Oh yeah, we, we, we've been open about this the whole time. And it's like, no, no, you haven't. But, uh, it's cool. It's cool to see. <laughs> I, I just, I want regulation that makes Nika, which I love, by the way, I will say like as, 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 you know, critical as I'm being right now, I I love that brand. I I hold a, like a big space in my heart for that brand. Uh, I I want regulation that makes them be honest about um, what it is that they're putting in their bottle and a regulation that doesn't make it so that Ichiro Akuto, who's been very vocal the entire time with his Chichibu distillery and, if, if you don't know Ichiro Akuto as like a Japanese, um, as a master blender, like he deserves as much clout as Yamazaki or as, as Santori and, and Nika, in my opinion. But I want him to be able to still produce whiskey where he says, this is an all world whiskey. I got it from Scotland, Canada, the U.S. Like I want him to be able to produce that and, and still be successful with that. And, and then Nika be able to also be honest. I, I think to what you both said, I, I just want regulation so that there is transparency. Um, and it seems like I will say with like the with what's being put out so far, it seems like it is in that category where it's not it's not overregulated. It's just kind of setting up some healthy parameters around the whole the whole subject. Yo. Uh. Okay, so moving on to our our next topic. This is going to be like basically right on theme with this entire podcast so far. We're a little bit more of a free-range conversation. But another thing that we were talking about today, and actually very, very appropriate following a Japanese whiskey conversation, <laughs> is, is allocations. And um, so, you know, as a consumer, typically what, what you see is, uh, you know, these things – certain bourbons, certain Japanese whiskeys, um, just things in general that, that we refer to as allocated items. And what that means is the distributor only has a certain amount of them. And basically the accounts that want to carry them, they're going to have to satisfy different benchmarks. And those benchmarks usually come in the form of X amount of cases that they've ordered from that distributor or from that supplier during the course of a year. Um, 
so you know when you hear like an independent retail store talking about the fact that they had to buy a hundred cases of some vodka in order to get two two bottles of very rare bourbon that's very much so what happens in our industry and um there are again there are benchmarks that are set by distributors and in order to make sure that like okay you really have to go above and beyond in order to get these things because those bottles end up being so easy to sell because everybody wants them right whether it's a yamazaki 18 a blanton's bourbon weller 12 there's kind of like an ongoing list of of this different stuff what we saw last year though has completely upended this system now there's a movement from the distributor side to move away from these allocations because technically speaking definitely not legal and um they also had a tremendous amount of accounts hit these benchmarks because so many people did their drinking through their local liquor store right like more people were buying from liquor stores this year than than ever before the numbers were insane and the way that a distributor works is that you're always measuring yourself against the previous year so if we did these monster pandemic numbers last year what does that look like moving forward so i think this is a great a great little panel to have because nick you're obviously coming from the restaurant side where you guys were barely open you definitely weren't moving through the product that you were moving for and then chris you were open but you're dealing with a brand new business and then you're having to jump through hoops that you're just not capable of doing yet because you're trying to figure yourself out in a pandemic how are you going to measure yourself against that so so Nick, I know you were talking earlier when we were doing kind of like our pre our pre warm up to to all this stuff that you've learned a lot of lessons when it comes to the allocation game in in purchasing and you had some fun stories and lessons that you've learned along the way. So with that being said, I mean, what were some of the mistakes that you made in the allocation whiskey game that you're kind of like, "Oh, that was really not the smartest thing or I do it differently now." Like what were those? Yeah, well, there was some, there was some like initial ones that I made. This is so embarrassing to like admit. <laughs> there were some initial ones that I made that like we just had lined up for us, and I they were I was told by my rep, hey, you have this allocation available if you're interested, and it was at a time when we were not buying anything. And I think when I initially one of the things like when I went into crew, like we had a lot of a lot of stock left over, and I I was like very much trying to be, you know, prove, prove my worth as a consultant taking over the program or whatnot. And I was like, let's lean this out. Let's make it, let's, let's creatively use the product that we have. And so I was trying to buy as little as possible. And so things kind of got lined up like, you know, um, the birthday bourbon, birthday bourbon from uh, old Forrester. And I was like, you know, saw the price tag and I was like, you know, we're okay right now. We're not looking to pick anything else up. We don't have an order this week, so I'll, I'll pass on that. And in hindsight, that is ridiculous because the bourbon market right now is absolutely insane. And that's a bottle that I could have brought in and made money for the restaurant off of. And so I think on a small level, it, the, the, one of the initial lessons I think that I learned was just that the allocation game is real and take advantage of it when you can, especially when it's like spoon fed to you, like take advantage of that. Um, but on a, a bigger level, I think it's like a constant thing that I've been trying to tackle and understand. And and again, like I, I feel so new to so many different things inside of this industry. And buying is an art in and of itself of trying to 
you know, manage relationships and inventory and, and expectations from ownership and, um, you know, uh, being honest with your distributors and, and what you promise of what you can take on and, and sell through and reorder and whatnot. But so allocations in general is this been this such such a confusing game. And I've been around so many people that have had very vocal opinions about their frustrations with it. And I think for me, I kind of being naive into the industry just took it as like, uh, okay, this is the game. These are the rules. This is how it works. And I just need to figure it out as best that I can. And so the biggest thing for me has been creating the relate strong relationships with the people that I want to work with and the people that um, have portfolios that fit for crew and that I want to try to leverage and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, the more that I do learn, and we kind of talked about this earlier of, you know, the, the key, a lot of the times should be transparency. But what I found as well is the more transparent this allocation game has become, the more frustrated I've become by it. And so, you know, that that's where I'm at with it. It's a work in progress. I, I feel like I'm just kind of probably hitting the point that a lot of buyers have been at in the past where they are, have been playing the game or, or want to play the game, but the, it's, it's difficult. And especially in a year like the one that we just had, the, everything kind of got flipped, uh, you know, up on its head. And so it's difficult. It, it's tough. And, you know, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in the game. I don't know exactly where I think it should be heading moving forward. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, yeah, I don't think that we're, I don't think we're trying to solve, solve any issues tonight. I think it's just also trying to illuminate for our listeners, like, Hey, this, these are some of the things that, that restaurants are going to be dealing with in addition to everything else. Like, you know, I, I, there's a lot of bars around our area that they made drinks based off what they had on the back bar. Right. And you're going to probably go into a lot of these spots as places start to open up and you're not going to see a lot of stuff back there, you know, or maybe the high dollar stuff that you might have been used to seeing every single time that you went out before the pandemic. Because it's just like all those bottles went to the liquor stores <laughs> and they're they're no longer at, at the restaurants and stuff. Now, there will obviously be some carryover because, again, some of those those back bar sitters are, are hard to move in a to go scenario. But um you know, there, there's that. So Chris, from, from your perspective, I mean, you know, what do those conversations look like for you as a, as a new, or, you know, now you're a little over, a little over a year, but it's like as a new store having to, to play the game, as Nick put it, like, what's that been like over this past year? Man. Um, you know, I, I'm someone who sort of like, uh, uh, prides himself on not quote unquote playing the game. <clears throat> you know, I, uh, my entire job at the store is to, uh, at good bottle, I should say is, is to provide just dope bottles, right? Like that's, that's the job. That's, that's what we're there for. It's not to have what everybody else has. And yet we get, we still get stuck in the same, cycle that everybody else does because we get people who come in who just you know they spend money with us and they still want these bottles there's there's something to be said for uh that allocation of bottles going to your best customers right like if you have 
a small amount of bottles. They can only go to a select handful of places. How are you going to do that? And yeah, it's totally illegal to um, to say, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. No, fuck you, fuck you. Um, that's not acceptable, at least in California. Um, but it's it's what happens, right? It's like it's it's if you want this bottle, if you want these bottles, if you want however many of these bottles, you have to earn it. Doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes sometimes you get lucky like me and you have people who who like you and who who want their product in your space because it fits whatever image their their product has of themselves um then that's how that works out you know uh long story short though i not short long story longer longer yeah you can't say that now <laughs> definitely longer for too long yeah long story longer <laughs> uh i'm i'm sort of stuck in the middle on this one you know like i i get really annoyed by some of the some of these things. And I think what it really comes down to for me is, you know, does it, does it work for me? Am I going to do this? You know, does it, does it make me money? Does it make sense for my customers for me to buy this? Right? Like, am I going to go out of my way? Am I going to buy five extra cases just to meet this minimum? Now, I think it should be clear, like when we're talking about five cases, we're talking about 10 cases, we're talking about 100 cases. This is a this is a year long process, at least for off prem, you know, for for the retail game. When you are talking on prem, it's a it's a different story altogether, which that's a whole other episode that we can on prem being restaurants and bars. Yeah, on correct. Yeah. On prem being like drinking on premise bars, restaurants drinking off premise off premise being retailed um there's uh, the two are entirely different games like they have different algorithms for both for off prem i'm i'm not sure that going out of my way to like buy an extra 30 cases of something just because i want to get that one bottle makes any sense for me now there are there are plenty of of retail spots, you know, corner bodegas, fucking local liquor stores that will disagree with me. They have those bottles, they'll sit them up on the shelf and they'll price them out of reach. And if you're willing to pay that price for them, then fuck it, they'll sell them to you. But they are so far out of reach in terms of any reasonable cost, and they don't care what shit anybody talks about them. I care. You know, like for me, my perception within the community matters a lot and what people say about what I charge for my bottles, because I'm a boutique bottle shop. I don't want to get known as the boutique bottle shop that you have to pay to go to. Right. Like I still want to be able to provide approachable quality. And so that's something that I pay attention to. The local corner store might not give a fuck about that birthday bourbon that's sitting on the shelf for fucking three hundred and fifty dollars. Right. Like they they don't care that that it should maybe only cost, you know, ninety nine or one hundred fifteen. You know, they they don't care about that for them. It's a it's an image. 
at which point that comes back to that allocation. It's like, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to sell, you know, five cases of Old Forester straight, you know, five cases of Old Forester, uh, the um, uh, mint julep? Are you willing to sell uh, the 100 proof? Are you willing to sell the prohibition? You know, like what, like what marks are you willing to sell in order to get that? That's that's a whole other conversation. But being on premise, I don't know what you had to do to meet that. You know, like, did you guys buy a barrel? Did you, you know, I mean, crew is at least was insanely popular. You know, there there wasn't a night that you could walk into that bar and find a seat easily. And we will return. We will return. We will be popular again. Um well, I mean that's that's never that's never the question, right? But it's like no, but to, with the world being sure, the world. sure, sure. No, but to your, to your point, I think I mean okay. So this is something for me. I definitely am trying to work on more and more as a beverage director is taking advantage over every single dollar that's sold in in with alcohol. Like, like I I don't want if there is a cocktail being sold on the menu. If I have a cocktail that's making a lot of money on the menu. I want to make sure that those dollars that we're making off of that are probably are going towards a, a distributor. We're selling products with the distributor that then we can capitalize on that in the future. I want it to be a, a beneficial relationship, right? So for me, it's it's been a slow, steady kind of uh, design towards making sure that everything on the menu has intention behind it towards like the bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish at Crew. So we're lucky enough that because of the space that we have and everything that we, you know, I'm I, lucky enough. And we kind of are forced to have margins that, that make it make sense for the space and the staff and, and rent and all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's like I want to make sure that if I have a certain spirits name on the menu, that it's on there because that will help me get something else down the road. And for crew, honestly, it's kind of easy. I, I'm lucky that it's so specific because for me, when I'm purchasing in, in terms of spirits, like my number one goal is Japanese whiskey at the end of the day. Like that's my focus. That's why I want to focus on a crew. If it's a Japanese spirit in general. Yeah. That's what I want to focus on. So for me, it's mainly making a beverage menu that makes sense towards um, uh, supporting the businesses and brands that will then hopefully support us down the road um, with certain options. I like how you described it, you know, being expensive as just having a bigger margin. Like that definitely softens the blow. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's like, that's next level coaching and just word use where you're just kind of like, cause you never want to describe your place as expensive no. because that's a yeah. turnoff for people. Right. But if you can talk about having this elevated space and this, you know, that necessitates this higher margin for our staff. I mean, the reason, the reason that we're charging what we do, like, I mean, trust me when I put any cocktail on the, like charge, like, especially coming from snug, I mean, you have incredibly talented people with so much thought put into everything. And I mean, I think the average cocktail on the menu was like nine or 10 bucks. And it's like, the thought process that went into everything that happened there was over the top. And so now to come into a space where I'm like, oh, well, average price is going to be 12 bucks. And you know, we'll have some cocktails that are 15 or 18 and things like along those lines. 
I mean, I, I really, whenever we do that, I really need to convince myself first that it's even worth that amount. Like, I, 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 so I, I always stand behind, I think whatever, on a bigger conversation, I, I like what Chris is talking about, you always want to price things. You always want to stand behind the price that is, that is on the menu or, or, or that is listed. You want to be able to stand behind it. And at, at crew, like, yeah, I, I do list those things. Cause those are all true. Those are all the things that go into. And, and some people may not think about uh, when they're, you know, paying that amount of money, but it's like, those things are all factors in towards what, what the price of whatever the product is that you're purchasing from that establishment. So, you know, it's all, it's all important. I think. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think you know, that also just brings up another good point is that as restaurants start to open up, you know, we're probably going to be in a, in a place where the margins are going to be higher across the board for everybody. Cause you're just going to have to, you know, if between, um, things being the way that they have been minimum wage, year, minimum yeah, wage yeah. going up. Yeah. Try like all these different things are going to, are going to play in. And so, you know, for all of our listeners out there, it's like, it's okay. You're going to, you're going to see higher margins. You're going to see restaurants, bars and everything being a lot more aggressive because now the bar has been set so high for all these allocations. Like there's going to be some just crazy, crazy stuff happening over the next year of who's going to get what, because, you know, a lot of those allocations were able to be satisfied by the fact that restaurants weren't taking those bottles. So all those bottles went into the general marketplace. So, you know, what does that look like now with, with things coming back, how competitive it's going to be. And, you know, and, and again, I'm, I guess we're just trying to shine a little bit of a light on like what this allocation game is and what these accounts, you know, both from your perspective, Nick, and your perspective, Chris, where it's like these guys are required to buy X amount of things just to get a bottle of this desirable whiskey or this desirable, um, you know, agave, whatever, whatever the case may be. And, and at the end of the day, like, you know, there's obviously a little bit of market manipulation that happens with that, but there's also just a finite amount of it. You know, one of my favorite things is, you know, talking with our friends over at Beam Centurion, you know, and, and one of them in general, she's always just like, it's like, I would love to give everybody a, a bottle of 18 year. Like that would be great. There just isn't enough of it. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. You know, and I can certainly respect that in, in because of all the single casts that I work with. I mean, we had something that got released a couple of weeks ago that I've been hit up numerous times for. And it's like, I would love to sell that to you. There were 102 bottles yeah. in the world. And like, it's hard for me to hate bottles. on that game. You know, like when you've got a product that is brought that has this much value, like, you know, it's hard for me. I, you know, I, I want I want my friends. I want my the people that come into crew. I want my friends just in general to be able to drink things at the price that they should be at a reasonable price. I and, and I always think about that. Chris, you were talking about that. Like at the end of the day, you're just looking out for your, your customers, your guests. You want them to be able to enjoy something at the value that it it should be enjoyed at. And 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 that's the thing. But at the same time, it's hard to hate on. It's like, yo, you want the fresh new, you want the new Jordans? Like it's this much and the materials cost X, but it sells at Z and that's just kind of the game. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do get upset. I, I, I do 
get frustrated at times. But I also, you know, I respect the hustle, I guess, to some extent. Totally true. On a on a final note, you know, it's it's like making cocktails, right? It's like uh, the 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 sum of the parts is uh, sorry, the value is greater than the sum of the parts, right? So, what it is that you've created that item. It's far more valuable than just simply the grain that goes into it and the person who blends it and, you know, the fact that it just goes through this house. Like all of that together, as well as the packaging, as well as the advertising that goes into it, creates something that's far more valuable. Yeah, I mean, you look at art in general. Art, art. Therefore, it's it's worth and, more. And you look at art in general, like art as a category. I mean, so much of it is based off of uh the the personal connection that someone has or to 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 something it it's it's so personal these things are so personal and so when you have these products i mean i don't know i think to me especially when it comes to japanese whiskey and the allocations like i'm so fascinated by the category and have so much connection to it so to me it almost these bottles and being able to create a program that lets me get and, and this is so specific, but to Japanese whiskey in general, like I love, I love the game of, of trying to be, able, I want to get that bottle. Like I want to, okay, how can we set this up in a practical way where we're not getting screwed on the deal? How can we set up something to where it gives me access to this? And I, 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 I get stoked. I get stoked on that. I think so. I don't know. Distributed I mean, fair, in, in another, in another way of saying it, it's like, you know, we talk about like Blanton's, you know, like I often joke about people who want Blanton's because the juice is fine, you know, like the juice is good and it really just depends on which bottle you get. It's it's made by an amazing distiller. Juice is fantastic, but it really it really depends because it's the original single barrel. So so from barrel to barrel, it really depends on which one you get, you know, but very few at people who are purchasing it now actually know that what they're looking for is like that status symbol or the fact that they're just like able to get it it's 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 like pappy right it's people just want to be able to say that they have they've had it fuck i'm i'm to blame too you know i've got a bottle of blanton's at the house and i never drink it it's really just the way when people show up i go yeah fuck you i got blanton's (laughs) (laughs) i own a liquor store what would you expect me not to have blanton's that's weird um and it's it's literally sitting on the bottom shelf of of my bar out in my living room right now um and it's you know it's good juice but it it's uh it's one of those that people will actively go out of the way to find and it has to do with not just the juice but the bottle the marketing the legend the fucking collecting all of the all of the uh, the the horses on on the cork you know like it has everything to do with it and there's a reason that people create that brand in the way like that and to eventually create a market like this you can't really hate on it i mean you can you could joke about it and you can poke fun at it and you can like try to slowly bring people back down to earth so the the secondary market doesn't get so out of fucking hand like it has with pappy but um i think ultimately like it's it's you know it, it is what it is and our job 
within the industry is just to just to give people a little bit of what they want. And if we can't do that, we push them in another direction that's going to probably make them happier once they realize that they've gotten something better. Yeah, there's no doubt that like pushing people towards single malt is like my life goal, you know, and just other things in general that, you know, because they end up the, the pricing on single malts makes sense to me. You're like, yes, that should cost that. That was in a barrel for 18 years or 25 years or 12 years, whatever. Um, or, you know, if, or looking at it from the agave perspective, it was like, yeah, that was in the ground for 20 years. That's how long it took to grow it before they can get there. So I love converting people into to other stuff. And so hopefully that shed a little bit of light onto what bars and, you know, bars, restaurants and liquor stores have to go through in order to get you guys some of these allocated bottles. So, you know. The next time you go in and you ask for Blanton's and they don't have it, you know, they'll be a dick about it because it's hard. It's hard to get. Market watch. I love watching Nick's face now that we have video that I get to see people's reaction to that. That's uh, (laughs) hands down one of my favorite sound effects of all time. I take a lot of pride in it and it's the first time he's heard this and it just, it's lovely. And he's also really been, cause you know, the, the brothers more did a really good job with like, with our music and stuff. And I was in just like watching him kind of just like get into the groove. Like when we started the intro music, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Like he's, <laughs> he's feeling this right now, you know? So this is, it's been good. All right. What's, what's your, what's your market watch like this week, Chris? All right, guys. So I definitely suggest that you all buy everything that I say and don't listen to a word I said and don't quote me because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But let's start off with MGP. MGP is climbing back up to $67.45 at closing today uh, after dipping earlier in last week down to $61. That also being said, Kwaichalmuto has dropped again down 108 points down to $2,049 at closing today. So if you decided to invest two weeks ago for when we first started talking about this, you're a sucker. Who knows? It might go back (laughs) up though, because you know, you should always buy low, buy low, sell high. So, uh, you know, definitely do that. You know, who's dope them over there. That whole segment is just so ridiculous. I don't. I just even think know I think it's really it. sweet like, that you guys both support each other so much that Drew can bring his sports cards on and related to agave bottles, and that Chris Chris can talk about the stock market related to the the booze industry. Like I just, you know what? This is nice. I love that you guys are supporting each other. And, <laughs> and they just and like and neither one of those things like adds any value for our listeners at all. Like we're just, but, but I will say like, those are, those are niche, but those are we, niche markets that I don't know who, who knows? Maybe you guys are uncovering a whole community God. of people that just are really interested in, in, in booze and they want to invest. They're really interested in, I mean, both are good financial, uh, you know, the card game, there's money to be made there, right? Both are good financial options. I guess, I guess we just need to come up with something where it's just kind of like, we're, we're 
you know, Chris talks about these different things and it's like, okay, what do you do with that information outside of yeah, just seriously. Yeah, Chris, on to the next thing? You know, I, I invested two weeks ago. I'm a sucker. How do I, how do I redeem myself? <laughs> he has no idea. He just likes, he likes the fact that he made the sound drop. That's the thing. He's like, I just wanted to make this sound drop. That's a fact. That's all I wanted this for. Yeah. Okay. Well, here back to a segment that does make sense. Um, our dope follows of the week. To be fair, Each, no, no, no. Oh, Hang gosh. on. To be fair, I've had many people actually come up to me after launching Market Watch and say, "You know what? I appreciate that because it feels like it brings the information into a real world, and so you can see the information that we're talking about." And how that has an effect on the market. So you're welcome. And we'll talk about this later, I guess. Um, oh, enough. man. That was like my <laughs> yeah. wife being like, we're talking when we're getting home. <laughs> <laughs> when we stop, we stop hitting rec- when the record button goes goes off. We're just, yeah. Okay, sure. You, I'll let you have this. Okay. Don't follow us. That's sweet. Each week, we, we recommend... Someone for you guys to uh, to follow, check out, listen to. It could be books. It could be Instagram accounts. It could be podcasts. It doesn't matter. We just want to find um, dope things out there to share to share with you guys. So, um, so Nick, as our special guest, who is your dope follow? Oh man. Okay. So I thought about this a lot, and and I went back and forth, but they were, I was always going back and forth between one person, and, and that's David Goggins. So. As a basic, like, follow uh, David Goggins on uh, Instagram. Uh, he has an amazing book called Can't Hurt Me. Uh, this dude inspired me to to run my first uh, marathon in, in a big way. And I've listened to him. I've listened to his podcast for every, like, run that I – like, marathon – like, um, any, like, organized run that I've done. I've typically listened – I have listened to his um, audible – uh, or audiobook for Can't Hurt Me as the first half of it. Uh, David Goggins is this incredible man who has basically has this crazy story of how he went from, you know, being depressed, uh, 240 pounds, spraying for cockroaches to going through uh, um, Navy SEALs Hell Week twice in uh, one year and uh, running these crazy ultra endurance uh, marathons, like 200 and 40 miles runs at one time and crazy Ironmans and whatnot. I I think for me, you know, I get super inspired by this guy because anytime I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Oh, I just don't feel like doing it. Or, you know, I just don't have the energy. I mean, this guy, you, you listen to something that he says and you just, you, you just stand up immediately and you're like, okay, let's go. Um, he, he, I don't think has missed a workout since he was 23 years old. It's just, it's a very motivating and inspiring thing for me. And he does it in not like a cute way. It's not like, you know, be the best version of yourself. And I, 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 I follow on to a lot of things in, in that capacity as well. But I just love that David Goggins has a manner of making you rise to the occasion, rise to being the best version of yourself, but doing it in a way where he's like, get the fuck out of your bed. Like, wake up. Like, come on. Don't miss that workout. Like, he's so aggressive in everything that he does. And it really just, it it it, it picks me up really strong. And 
he's been such a positive um, influence in, in my life. So in thinking of like one follow, David Goggins, that's my dude. That's the guy I think everyone could learn uh, a little bit from. Nice. I, I read his book. His book Hell is amazing. Yeah. It definitely makes you feel it. It makes you feel like a fat Dude, piece of shit. Or does that make me feel tapes like his that? shins so like, because he's got two broken shins, so he duct tapes them to get through like that. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It's it's really a testament to like what the human body can endure exactly. when you're mentally strong. Is is what one of my big take. And if you do, I do follow him on Instagram and he continues to make me yeah, feel like but, a but, fat piece And of shit, that's so. the tough part too. But I think the you know. ultimate, the thing is like, I, I'm intense with my workouts. I work out a lot. I, I pay close attention to like, you know, me being active and whatnot. And I feel like a piece of shit compared to him. But at the end of the day, I think the bigger lesson that I learned from him is that I have more to give than I know. I think that's the valuable lesson is I'm, I'm stronger than I know I am. There's more in the tank always. You think you hit your last rep, you got another one. Like I, I just love that idea of like you have more in you than you know you do. Just keep pushing and dig deep for that. So I love that. Um, I, I love that idea. Nice. Chris, who's who's your follow this week? Uh, all right. Well, I'm keeping it in the family again, uh, but the, this time in the uh, not literal sense. Uh, we're going to go with Tracy Joy Social. Uh, Tracy is a friend of mine, and we have been talking a lot. She's a she's a she's a bartender, and she has pivoted pretty strongly in the last few years to really really crush social media. And um, on top of that, she's created a company that gets folks to be ambassadors for the products that they already use. So it's pretty, it's pretty rad. Um, and she's, she's really cultivated this social media. Um, culture. We'll say, I, I don't have a better word than that. This uh, social media culture to, to be able to profit people who, at who, have something to say about the products that are that are being uh, advertised. I think it's pretty great. Uh, uh, she does a great job. She's she's jumping across all sorts of social media platforms, uh, and she and I have been working together lately. And she's been giving me a lot of advice. Uh, but she's she's a homie, and I definitely suggest that a lot of people get out there and and follow her it's tracy with an i tracy joy social on instagram or pretty much anywhere you can find her nice what about you drew um i came across an account this week that was um we actually both were outraged by a certain brand's instagram post and we both commented on it and I was like, we have similar views on why this brand sucks right now. And so I followed them and their Instagram account is uh, Know Your Caribbean. And basically the way that they describe themselves is as a Caribbean history Instagram account that they won't teach you in school because it doesn't hold back any of the real atrocities that have occurred, you know, at the hands of lots of other countries and stuff like that. So it's um, it's really good information and it's it's uh 
have been able to learn learn a lot in a very short amount of time of just of just following this account. So so again, it's called Know Your Caribbean. It's it's constantly tackling all kinds of different issues, but it's a really great way. I mean, with my obviously um, love of rum, it's important to understand the cultures that are that are behind it and and to kind of like I said, not not get a uh, a whitewashed version of, of history that like kind of get a little bit more into the nitty gritty details of stuff. So check it out again. It's, it's on Instagram. It's called hey, side note. Caribbean. I have True, to, I do have you to, feel, I have to pee. do you feel like explaining <laughs> really quick? I have to pee. I have to pee. I have to pee We're really done. bad. We're almost done. <laughs> Can I go pee really quick? <laughs> go. Like seriously, go. it's so bad. Go. Okay. Go. Thank you so much. Go. We'll start. <laughs> yeah. See this, 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 you get, you get the raw, real stuff here. I can't wait until we start publishing video of these. It's, it's going to be marvelous. It's going to be fucking lovely. Hey, Drew, uh, uh, do you care to share with people why you found this account? Like, what, what was, what was the circumstance around? You finding this account, or we just uh, we're just gonna leave that off and let people DM you. It's such a weird. It's it's a really weird place to be in because, ex- basically, what I predicted what would happen four or five days ago when this first when I first brought this to your attention is exactly what's happened. Um, but yeah, fuck it, I don't care. So. There is a rum company that that actually we, we both like a tremendous amount, and the stuff that they bottle is is really really delicious and amazing. And it's it's uh, Le Maison Velier, and they just they do a, they do an incredible job. They're they're working with distilleries all over the world, and they really really bottle some some cool stuff. They have brought things to the United States and really to the rest of the world that are. Like you would just never see like one of them being like the reunion rum that we had. That was, that was super good, but they also have a Haitian, uh, Claren project and they had a post from, from one of their social media accounts earlier, earlier this or last sometime last week where they basically, they were talking about the life that, that Haitian people live. And it was very much so, of the glorifying of poverty. And that's something that I have a huge problem with. Uh, and I, and I think most people do like, that's not something that you, that you celebrate. Like you try to help people situations and to their credit, they have done that, but just, you know, to, it, it kind of diminished, you know, diminished a lot of their contributions to the Haitian people to kind of talk about how proud they were to be more Africa than Africa. And, and like to be, you know, having marketplaces where they, they sell things off the ground and it was, it was really awkward and it just seemed really tone deaf, especially for the day and age that we're in. And of course, anytime that something like that happens, um, people start to dig further and further and they find more quote unquote problematic, uh, language, but this is a very, very popular brand and there's very popular people within our industry that are involved with it. And because of that, the backlash just has not happened. And it's people aren't talking about it. And I just think it's so bizarre where um, it's kind of it gives me like those good old boy club vibes, you know, where it's kind of like, oh, no, that's one of our guys. So he's kind of 
he's kind of okay to say those truly horrible things. And on the flip side, I think what, what ends up happening is, is when, when people in, in their position do get canceled or they do get removed for positions of power, the um, sometimes those brands go away. And if they were already having a hard time, like now they're not going to have this vessel to sell their Claren. Like it's going to, at least in the short term, it's going to be very, it's going to continue to be very difficult for them. Whereas this company will just be fine because they all have lots of money already. So it's, it was really, it's been a really interesting week and there's still time for people to get really upset about it. Cause I don't think that a lot of the comments that were made outside of just that one Instagram post were, um, there, there's just going to be a lot more happening. And and the reason it does bother me so much is because I feel like that happens a lot in Mezcal as well, where people are so focused on, on the tradition of things and preserving what they think the Mezcal production should be. And they don't let these people be entrepreneurs. They don't let them bring in something that like, you know, part of that post was them talking about like, you know, they're, they're, they're using, they're using oxen and they're, you know, it's, it's animal, uh, animals and not machinery. And, um, one of my favorite, uh, brands and Clarence St. Benevolence, like, you know, they kind of had a post in spite of that, where like, you know, we, we brought a cane crusher to our producer. Like we, we made this investment in them and the whole village uses it. It's not just the guy who makes our stuff, but it's made their life a little bit easier in this sense. Like we don't, it doesn't need to be crushed by oxen and stone wheel. Like that's just like what, what romantic side of it is like, no, like let's make this more efficient. Let's make it better. And, and I know, I know Nick likes this phrase and it's, and he's back ladies and gentlemen, just for the record. Um, but it's like so many times people, uh, you know, they, they're just like, they're trying, they're, they say that they're preserving tradition, but in oh, reality, God. they're preserving poverty. And I, I just, do love that. <laughs> It, and so it's it, it drives me it drives me nuts and to see a, a company that I had so much respect for be so tone deaf and then more comments to come out from their leadership and then some of their other leadership have just completely wiped their social media accounts like they're gone they're off social media now and you're just kind of like wow but so we're just they're just gonna they're gonna bat down the hatches and just wait this wait the potential storm out and then maybe come back and um and so that's that's where that's how I got to know know your Caribbean because we both were equally upset at this company. <laughs> so that's that's how that's how it came together. But yeah, I guess I guess I'm gonna be the first one to go on record that says what they did was awful, disgusting, and there needs to be some accountability for it. I, yeah, I you know I I hate the term canceled and I hate the term fucking cancel culture because honestly, really where it comes from is fucking r kelly fucking raping little girls and there being some accountability and it's it's being it's being used in fucking ridiculous counterculture sort of ways but really cancel culture is just about holding people accountable i think it gets misused but again that's a conversation for another time i i don't know if you know, you and you and I, Drew, were talking about this earlier. I don't know if canceling a company is the thing, right? But what I know for myself, and that's the only thing that I can do, is uh, 
is I'm not going to buy their products until I know more. And again, it's not my job to make their company look good. It's their job to make their company look good. It's my job to sell their company. So, you know, there's there's plenty of other companies and other brands that I can sell uh, in the meantime. It's it's not really any skin off my back to quote unquote cancel them. For me, it's really just about not putting my putting my business in a in a bad light in order to you know have the conversation or not have the conversation with my it's so it's so it's so interesting because there's especially now we all want to be really vigilant on the people that we're supporting and the products that we carry to make sure that they have the best possible practices and the thing is like it's 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 hard it's difficult to keep up with with what every single i mean there's so many bottles behind the bar there's so many and so to to check in on every single practice and to make sure that it's good is a difficult process but i think uh for me like as as much as possible when i hear these stories when i am tipped off to something along these lines i agree chris like i i i'm I will then pause and I'm hesitant to continue supporting a certain brand until I know more, until I understand it. And and I guess that's me also saying that I'm sure there's brands that I carry uh, behind the bar that are probably doing shady things and I just don't know about it. But when I do find out about it, I would like to as much as possible try to, you know, act accordingly and adjust my my purchasing power towards a brand that's hopefully doing things better and supporting the right people. So, but it's tough. It's tough. I will say, uh, you know, I, I try to keep up the best that I can with everything. Um, and again, that's another, I think just like a fun pursuit of trying to make sure that, you know, you're supporting the right people. Uh, but I, I, I guess I'm just trying to add to the fact that it is tough and maybe I, I, I'm sure I am supporting brands right now that should not be supported, but you know, I'll find out in the future and, and, and act accordingly. Well, yeah, I think it's just about being pragmatic, right? Where as long as you're open totally. to new information, then, then you can make those decisions because you, you're right. I mean, there's, there, there's so often that something will come across your, you know, like another really great example of this is like that St. Cloud uh, bourbon whiskey that came out. It was like beautiful bottle, really great age statement. Really, I mean, it, it seemed like it was checking all these different boxes, right? You know, and then you find out like, oh, well, the guy who started this also had this this wine, this winery or like this wine that was supposed to come out in France. And he ended up screwing a ton of people out of money that just that wine never materialized, right? And then there was a bunch of domestic um, domestic issues too that were got like really, really out of hand. And this is kind of like his restart into the industry. And you're like, that's not going to be on the label, you know, <laughs> that's just, and it, it's, it sucks. And, and I, re, I remember finding out that myself sharing it, um, with an account. And then the guy who sells it hits me and says like, man, you're mm-hmm. killing me. And I was like, I'm helping you because if he's like, he's like, well, I didn't know all this stuff. I was like, well, now you do. Now you know how to approach it because, you know, ignorance isn't an excuse. Now you know about it. At the very minimum, now you can tell your reps how they should handle this because it's not like it. 
you know, again, it's not going to be on the packaging. It's not going to be on the labeling. But now that you have this information, how you act from here, that's what really I need to know about you. You know, it's like, you know, what's what's the steps that you continue to to take forward? And, you know, and and I do think that there at times there's these overcorrections and stuff like that. And, you know, Chris and Chris and I have spent a lot of time on Clubhouse the past couple of weeks. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been it's been a real, real swell time. But there's also there's a, a, and unfortunately maybe it's the groups I'm following, but there's just there's just a lot of people who feel like victims on it, and it's just it can be that conversation can be a little exhausting, right? And so, but I think if you're just you, you continue to be pragmatic, you continue to take in new information, and then you know you follow you follow accounts like Know Your Caribbean who gives you these bite size information things. That you don't you don't just take those at face value. That doesn't mean that you're done, right? It means that you take those bites and you kind of go, "Cool, this is this is my appetizer." Now let's go jump into this further. And how much can I? How much further can I learn about this? And that's what I think that you know, just in general, we have to do that. And then again, being in both both positions that you guys are in, um, and the positions that I have with with my platforms, it's like you know, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to use our power. We need to use our voices and. You know, it's just it. You can be complicit, and that's it's your choice. But it's like if if it really does bother you, there are venues to to express that, to share that, and you know that fun stuff. So this is this like really again. This has been a very sporadic conversation tonight. <laughs> this has just been this has been great. I've loved it, but we are all over the place, and I think it's I think it's time to to uh, maybe start wrapping it up. What do you think, Chris? Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by these two guys. Music is brought to you by the brothers Moore. They're very great. They're very attractive. They're amazing. It's Leon and Chase Moore. Leon's still single, ladies, so, you know, get at it. Uh, And before we go and kill these two bottles that we are drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris's is Chris Sinflair. You can also follow Nick at Batenda underscore Akira. We'll make sure to tag him on the on the Instagram and also his little side project that he does. The that's the effing drink, which is a fun little video series that he's been doing. So sorry, definitely check that out as well. The effing yeah. drink. The effing that's that's the effing drink. Fair enough. And it, and hey, if if you wanna if you wanna support us and help us give us the opportunity to hire Nick as a personal trainer, check out anchor.fm slash goodbye podcast. God bless you. And if you would like for us to cover a story or if you were uh, working with a brand or on a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at the goodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, cheers 
to you, my friend. And cheers to all of our listeners. Thanks for cheers. sticking Thanks out with so us on this long guys. episode. We out. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to Disney World. It's just a marathon of conversation.